All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you out this morning. And if you will, go ahead, take your Bibles. We're going to be um, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. And actually, keep your finger there. We're going to read a passage of Scripture and be in the book of Acts for most of this morning. But I also would like you to turn to Romans chapter number 12. So I'll give you a minute just to... Uh, turn to both passages of, of Scripture. Uh, so Acts chapter number 11 and Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> All right. So, Steve, are we ready with the slides? Or Perfect. Thank you. Okay. We're going to begin reading in verse number 22. And this morning, I want us to look at uh, the, well, the title you can see up there, An Encouraging Life. And we're going to look at the example of someone who certainly lived an encouraging life. And here in Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 22, now, as you know, the book of Acts is really a narrative, much of the, the early churches there. And here in Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 22, the Bible says, then tidings of these things... Now these things, what uh, looking up uh, to the previous verses, these things were uh, the the Grecians were hearing the gospel and getting saved, and God was was working there, and so non Jews were getting saved. This is the church there in Jerusalem. Let me start again in verse number twenty two. It says, "Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem." And they, that's the church, sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas for Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that, the, that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians, or excuse me, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And so um, then, uh, keep your place here in Acts chapter number 11, but I want you to turn uh, over to the book of Romans chapter number 12. Now, this morning, we are going to look at the spiritual gift of exhortation, exhortation. And this is one, and I want to show you here in Romans chapter number 12, and look here in verse number 6, exhortation is one of the seven serving gifts that are mentioned here in this passage. In verse number 6 of Romans chapter number, uh, number 12, now, as you understand, in the church, the church is made up of members, and, uh, and we know churches are people, and the churches have many members, the Bible tells us, and each member has different gifts, and uh, this is, exhortation is one of these, these serving gifts, as you may, um, as they're called. Here in verse number six, it's speaking of the church, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. 
or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, that he show mercy with cheerfulness. And so you can see the list here of of different varying gifts, gifts such as ministering, teaching, uh, giving, to rule, but there's also the gift of exhortation. Now, what is exhortation? Exhortation is the motivation to come alongside others to encourage, to stimulate, and to motivate them to pursue spiritual growth, spiritual labor, or spiritual conduct conduct okay so that is the gift to come alongside and motivate others spiritually in a positive direction now uh, according to romans chapter 12 verse number verse number 12 see the people that have these these serving gifts the people the christians that get uh, involved in their church and serve in any manner but uh, in particular, we're talking about exhortation this morning. Look in verse number 12. Looking a little further down uh, this passage of Scripture, it talks about the gift of exhortation in verse number 8. And uh, verse 9, and uh, it says, well, uh, um, or 9, 10, and 11 talks, uh, gives more instruction. But in verse number 12, it says, the believer who's exercising this gift must also exhibit three things it's found in verse number 12 rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer now what are these things rejoicing in hope that means he or she must be optimistic about the future it's hard to exhort right if you're always down if you've got a negative outlook The Bible says if you want to be an exhorter, you've got to rejoice in the hope. Well, what is that hope that we are looking for? The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what we all ought to be looking for, the return of Jesus Christ. We have that to look forward to. That is our future. Our future is the coming of the Lord. Whether he is to come into the clouds and take us up or whether we're to go up and meet him, one way or another, for the believer, our hope, our uh, and, and we can rejoice in this, is to see Christ. And so rejoicing in hope, patient, the Bible says, in tribulation. And what that simply means is that you and I, are to be realistic about the present. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. Also in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4, it says, uh, who, that's God, comforteth us in our tribulation. We have the the Holy Spirit to comfort us. We have God there never leaving us. goes on and says that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. But the comfort wherewith we are, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
And, you know, this is easier said than done, I understand. But knowing that God has a purpose for everything you are going through, everything that I go through, knowing that God has a purpose for that is certainly something that needs to be on our minds. Um, So the exhorter, the believer who is to exercise the gift of exhortation must the Bible says they must have a uh, they must rejoice in the hope looking for that blessed hope they have to be patient in tribulation but also persistent in prayer as verse number 12 says continuing instant in prayer they must be confident in all circumstances the Bible says be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians chapter 4. This means the Lord will prepare the exhorter through their own struggles and difficulties. If you are going to be an exhorter, you will go through those tribulations yourself. You are going to learn patience in those difficult times. Learning to trust God yourself. And then, what does that gain? Well, you gain some experience. You understand that I can trust God. God has proven himself time and time again in my life. And uh, and then, then we also keep in mind we have that hope. Hope that... One day it will be, as the song goes, it will be worth it all, right? When we see Christ. Now, before you sit there and say, well, you know, I understand there's lots of different spiritual gifts God gives uh, his children, and that is true. And you say, well, you know, exhortation just is not one of my spiritual gifts. Well, understand, I I, I get that. God uh, does give, uh, you know, he... uh, gives pastors a special gift and a role in the church. And he doesn't give that to every one of us, does he? But the exhorter, understand this, all believers are called to exhort one another. This is one that we all, uh, you can't say, well, I just don't have that gift. Well, the Bible uh, calls us all to exhort one another. Over in Hebrews, and they're up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 3, In verse number 13, the Bible says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through your deceitfulness of sin. Now, the reason why we wouldn't be an exhorter is we are uh, deceived by sin. We are to encourage spiritually one another. That's what exhortation is. It's that to motivate alongside others to stimulate, encourage one another in spiritual growth, uh, service, maybe to, to conduct themselves spiritually. That's what exhortation is. And we are to do it daily. Over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, the Bible says, And let us consider one another to provoke or to exhort unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as ye see 
the day approaching. Now, the greatest example of an exhorter in the New Testament uh, is found, and we, we getting back to uh, the book of Acts now, Acts chapter 11, in verse 23, the Bible gives us a great example of a man named Barnabas. Barnabas, and I, from his example, we can learn how to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, both individually, but also corporately as a church body. Now, Barnabas, he is actually called in Acts chapter number 4 and verse uh, number 36, he is called the son of, uh, of consolation. And the word exhort is translated from a Greek word meaning one who comes uh, comes or is called alongside. You know, I, I, I ha- it's, it's hard to, um, to think of uh, this sort of meaning without thinking of also the Holy Spirit that we have as, as a, uh, a believer. We have the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside. He's, well, the Bible says he's in us. And he's the, that's why the Holy Spirit is called the divine comforter. He's there. He's in, he exhorts us in the right spiritual things. Well, we're going to look here this morning at Barnabas. Now, first, who was Barnabas? Now, the, but we actually, through the scriptures, we know quite a bit about this man. Unlike some characters in the Bible where maybe they're just mentioned once or twice and you kind of have to put the pieces together and use your imagination for the rest. With Barnabas, we actually have uh, quite a, a bit of information and a little bit about his background. If we were to go back to Acts chapter number four, um, this is where we see him, uh, where the Bible introduces him. We know that he was a Jew from Cyprus. He was also a man that evidently had some financial uh, means, had some assets, and we'll get get uh, we'll touch on that here in a minute. Barnabas was possibly saved and baptized into the Jerusalem church on the day of Pentecost. We don't know. The Bible doesn't actually tell us or uh, give us the conversion and the baptism of Barnabas, but perhaps he was one of those uh, three thousand that got saved and baptized on that day of Pentecost. Um, we know he was associated with the churches in Jerusalem and also Antioch. We're going to see that. He was Paul's companion on his first evangelistic journey or the missionary journey that Paul, when he left there, the church in Antioch, who was it that went alongside Paul and was his partner? Well, it was Barnabas. And so the Bible does, in our text, give us some information about his character. And so if you go back to Acts chapter number 11, and in verse number 24, the Bible says that Barnabas was a man, uh, or he was a good man, and full of faith, or full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, And so the first part of verse 24 does give us some insight into this man's character. He, you know, when the Bible talks about him being a good man, it does not mean he's a man beyond the reach of any one of us. 
He was no super Christian, like some Christian that we're talking about that, boy, I could never live up to a Barnabas. He's at a different level. No, he, every single one of us can can uh, be a Barnabas. I want to show you that when the Bible talks about him being a good man, I believe the Bible uh, is he, he was not sinless. Barnabas was a sinner. This simply means that he was saved. The Bible says in Romans chapter three and verse number twelve that there is none that do there is none that do uh, that doeth good no not one. So Barnabas wasn't sinless. The only man that walked on this earth that was sinless and truly was good in that sense, perfect, was Jesus Christ. But the Bible does tell us in Third John verse eleven, he that doeth good is of God. And so the term here that he was a good man means that Barnabas was a saved man. Without the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we're not I mean, we're hopeless. But we put on Christ's righteousness and uh, we put on his goodness, and without that we would be lost eternally. But he was a good man, meaning he was saved. But here the Bible goes on and says he was spirit-filled. And that tells us that this was a man that yielded to God. He yielded to the spirit, not to the flesh. We have the two natures. Ephesians 5 verse 18 tells us to be filled with the spirit. You know, if you're saved this morning... You have the Spirit, the indwelling Holy Ghost. It doesn't mean you're filled with it, though. You can quench the Spirit, but Barnabas was full. He yielded to the Spirit. We're told in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Barnabas was also a man full of faith. This, again, simply means he believed and practiced the word of God. You know, as a result of these qualities, he was very effective in his service for Christ. Look in verse number 24 of Acts chapter 11. Now, we read this verse, but notice at the end there, it says, He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. That tells me he was very effective as a Christian, bringing people to Christ. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do is just, uh, in our lesson, I'm going to give you five ways that Barnabas encouraged other people. Five ways he encouraged. And again, knowing that this is uh, exhortation, the spiritual gift of exhortation is something that we all ought to be doing. Knowing that Barnabas, yes, he was a good man, doesn't mean he was perfect and we can never be at his level. I believe we can. We ought to strive and look at this example that the Word of God gives us of this man. And uh, There are five ways I want to give you very quickly this morning. Five ways that Barnabas encouraged others. And the first was that Barnabas helped meet the needs of others. And turn back uh, to Acts chapter number 4. Now go back to Acts chapter number 4. 
And this is actually where we, we first learn of Barnabas. And this is back in Jerusalem. Acts chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 32. The Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he hath, that he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for they, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Notice verse 37. The Bible tells us that Barnabas, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the, understand, the Christians back in this, um, this was the early church there in Jerusalem, they were under tremendous persecution. They were being deprived of basic uh, necessities. They were losing their jobs. They didn't have money for uh, to per, to buy food. They were probably not allowed to buy food, being prevented. And so there was extreme persecution upon the church at this time. And so uh, we won't go there, but you just have to flip back to to um, uh, chapter two, verse forty-five. Also, the beginning of of verse uh, of chapter four. Um, we, it just talks about the persecution that was upon the church there in Jerusalem. Now, this gift that Barnabas had given to the church and really what it did for the members there in the church is it certainly would have lifted their spirits. He had land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet so that distribution amongst the members so the members wouldn't go without. Barnabas evidently had uh, some means here. And the, bar, uh, the Bible um, talks about the liberal giver. And uh, Barnabas was a liberal giver. He didn't just give his tithe to the, the scent. No, he gave above and beyond. Why? Because he cared for others. And um, the liberal soul shall be made fat is what the Bible says tells us and he that watereth shall be watered also himself we don't read about elsewhere in chapter 5 of the book of acts that now barnabas is without no god took care of him but certainly he was a giver consider the worldly advice that barnabas may have received when his financial planner or his realtor said, hey, Barnabas, why are you selling your land? Oh, I'm selling it because I need to give that money to the church. Uh, we have, you know, consider the advice that his realtor would have, or financial planner would have given. You're doing what? You're giving, you're giving this, this is, you're giving all this money to the church? What a waste. 
What about your investment portfolio? What about you could build its land? You can build a, a beautiful retirement home on that property. What are you doing? Think about your future, man. No, Barnabas was concerned about helping others. Okay, so there is the first example, and that's how we're introduced to Barnabas. But number two, I want to go on because I want to give you all of these these uh, ways that we see Barnabas being an encourager. That gift encouraged the believers there in the church. And you and I, when we faithfully give, as the Lord the Lord had to have told Barnabas, go sell that land. God may not say that to all of us. But God may say to you and I, I want you to give towards this need. And you know when you obey God, in that it is an encouragement to the church. Okay, number two, Barnabas vouched for Saul of Tarsus. Now, if you don't know who Saul of Tarsus is, you're going to find out. Look in Acts chapter number nine. Acts chapter number nine. We read about Saul's conversion, the time Saul, uh, who became later on Paul, that we all know about in the New Testament. Chapter number 9, it starts with what Saul was doing. It's, it uses words threatenings and slaughters. <laughs> you know, that's what Saul was doing at the beginning of chapter 9. Well, at the end, it had all changed in his life. And I want to pick up in verse number 26. Saul, at this point, he has met the Lord on the way to Damascus. He's been saved. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 9 and verse 26, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Saul wanted to join the church there in Jerusalem. But notice what the Bible says. It says the church, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Now, Saul, before he was saved, had struck terror into the hearts of the church there in Jerusalem. Um, we know that in uh, chapter number 8, verse number 1, that it was Saul, the Bible says, was consenting unto his death. That's Stephen. Stephen was... Uh, the, uh, he was he was probably one of the most popular guys in the church. And it was Saul who was consenting to his death. And at, um, the Bible says in Acts chapter number one or uh, chapter eight, verse number one, that there was also a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so. This persecution that really was being led by Saul was causing the church to scatter. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that were to happen to Corridor Baptist Church, where we had persecution, and you know we've got we've got 
you know, Joe going back to California, scattering, right? You got to leave for your life. You got the the uh, the Gookins going to, you know, Kentucky, right? Or <laughs> All right? And, you know, so we're all scattering, and the only one left is Pastor, right? Maybe Scott sticks around. You're not apostles, but let's... Can you imagine... The tear, and you're doing this. Well, God had a purpose for the persecution, of course. We we can look back at this time and say, oh, yeah, of course. They had to scatter so that the gospel spread. And, you know, we saw, we know what Saul turned into. He turned into the Apostle Paul. And, you know, we look at this, but understand the tear that is in the members of the church in Jerusalem. Put yourself in their shoes seeing your family members killed but Saul is now born again he's saved he's converted to Christ on his way to Damascus the Bible tells us he was called to preach he was later baptized or he was first baptized into the church there in Damascus you know we we kind of hit the fast forward button thinking that he got saved and then was in the church in Jerusalem. Actually not. Read your Bible. He spent, uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 19, that he was discipled over certain days. He spent three years preaching. Saul spent three years preaching there in Damascus. In Acts chapter 9 verse 22. And evidently, according to Galatians chapter 1, there was a period of time when Saul actually left Damascus and spent some time alone with God in Arabia, came back. And then after three years of Saul preaching and stirring up things in Damascus, we read about in Acts chapter 9 and verse 23 down through 25, the Jews were done with him, and they were going to kill Saul at this time. And how did Saul get away? How did he flee Damascus? Well, the Bible says it was late at night. They lowered him from a basket from the, the city walls, and he fled. Otherwise, Saul was a dead man. And now, where did Saul flee to? He spent three years now preaching there in Damascus. Now he's he had to flee. Now he shows up there in Jerusalem at the church. Can you imagine? Uh, like I was saying, we're putting ourselves in uh, the church in Jerusalem's shoes for a minute. The murderer comes before the church and says, I want to join the church. And meanwhile, half of our congregation has had members killed at the hands of Saul. And the church denied the membership. But Barnabas, Barnabas was there, and it was at the recommendation of Barnabas that, um, and we see this in verse uh, 27 of Acts chapter 9, it was Barnabas that vouched for Saul. And this gives us, and I put it up on the screen, a, a, a principle that we find in the New Testament dealing with church membership. And I'm not going to get into this, but the way that 
membership into a Baptist church is affected is first initially by baptism, and we see that in Acts chapter 2, the pattern there, scriptural pattern, is that they were saved, they, or they, they, um, they received the word, the Bible says, they were baptized and added to that church. So that's the pattern the Bible gives us. But then there is another way, another way that you can join a church, and that is through the letter of commendation. And we see this, and we won't turn to these scriptures, but there is another way. If you've already been scripturally baptized and a member of a church, a Baptist church, well then, if you ever were to uh, transfer, and in this case we're talking about Saul, he's transferring his membership from the church in Damascus to the church in Jerusalem and it's through a letter of commendation or in this time it was through the the through Barnabas vouching for Saul think of what might have happened to the history books had Barnabas not vouched for Saul if the church fearfully rejected the membership of Saul there in Jerusalem. Think about, we wouldn't have most of, we likely wouldn't have our New Testament. Barnabas vouched for him because he had been, he had seen, he had witnessed what Saul was doing. Now, um, let's continue moving on because we have three more. So I can, I think I can get through this. Uh, Number three, the other way another way that barnabas was an encourager um he encouraged the scattered believers now this is in we read this in our text in chapter number 11 we've already read this now at this point in our text in acts chapter number 11 um barnabas was being sent to antioch to assess what god was doing there and to help organize the church in verse 22, and he encouraged them. The Bible tells us that he encouraged them. Um, It says in verse 23, who, when Barnabas came, he had seen the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all. And um, he encouraged them through uh, biblical instruction, uh, through continued evangelism, Look in verse number 24, the Bible, and we read this. It tells us about his character. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And when Barnabas was there, it, it says, and much people was added to the Lord. You know, it is such an encouragement when you see people get saved, baptized, added to the church, their lives start to change. God's changing their lives. That is such an encouragement. You know, and I, I was thinking about this even personally in, in our church. Um, the testimonies that I can just think back and I, I won't um, point people out. Um, but it is such an encouragement to me when I, when I see other church members bringing people to church and then they you see them get saved you see uh again lives change that is such an encouragement that is what barnabas did there in antioch people he he was he was a soul winner 
And, of course, we know that he brought Saul to the church there in Antioch. Uh, Look in verse number 25 of Acts chapter 11. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Okay, so Barnabas, he's up in Antioch. Now he leaves momentarily to go get Saul. And in verse 26, and when Barnabas had found Saul, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, again, going back to what we were just talking about, when they saw Saul and they saw his face, no doubt um, this was an action when Barnabas got Saul and brought him to Antioch. There was a, a moment of time when Bar- if Barnabas was facilitating, I don't know what to call it, but he was provoking forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, it was causing, there had to have, that had to have occurred. Everyone knew who Saul was when, before he was saved. And Barnabas initiated that. So, in other words, he, you know, he came into a church and helped organize a church and initiated and provoked or exhorted people to forgive and to uh, reconcile. And, you know, when that happens, I mean, that is, that is, that is what an exhorter does. Those are all characteristics of Christ. Christ forgives and, you know, in, in these things that I just mentioned, the things that he was doing, uh, bringing people to church, evangelizing, um, provoking forgiveness and reconciliation, you know, the result of his labors there is, and I, we, re- we read this in the end of verse 26, what do we see happen? Well, you know what? The church there in Antioch, people started to notice what was happening. And they started to, um, people like to give uh, groups names. And this is where we get that term or that name Christian, which means little Christ. And you know, Barnabas, what he was doing he was being Christ-like. People noticed, and they started calling him Christians first in Antioch. But it was at the hand of Barnabas, the great encourager. He encouraged the scattered believers. Many of these believers, no doubt, came from Jerusalem. All right, let me give you uh, these last two. Um and we'll be brief on this one. Number four, he was willing to answer the call. Uh, we won't turn there, but a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 13, this is the passage of Scripture where we see the beginning of the Apostle Paul now, no longer Saul. His name changed to Paul. His first missionary journey, he was sent out of the church there in Antioch, and Barnabas went with him. You see, he and Saul were the answer to the church's prayer. You say, well, okay, what was the church in Antioch praying for? 
Well, the church had a question. They had a question, and their question was, how are we, we've been given the Great Commission to go out into all the world, how are we to um, reach the regions beyond? Well, Barnabas and Saul were the answer to that prayer. And they sent out these two men to go out and start churches, start preaching. The Bible, or, you know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And what a great encouragement this must have been uh, for the church to see him willing to, to go out you know he didn't hesitate we don't read about any hesitation with barnabas he would be leaving behind a wonderful church and you know many times when when men or um a husband and wives leave a church to go to go out they're usually leaving behind a really great church and uh, or a ministry and that's certainly what barnabas had to have been doing there in antioch I mean, uh, why would he want to leave a church there at Antioch to go out? And uh, But he did it, and he was certainly unhindered by any worldly concerns. You know, uh, what if he never sold, I just think that, what if he never sold that land, you know, back in Jerusalem? And he, what if he was tied down there? You know, it's amazing. Obedience to the Lord. Here's the point with this. Obedience to the Lord encourages others to do likewise. And so um, then lastly, the last uh, example that we see in the life of Barnabas where he was an encourager was he stood by a man named John Mark. John Mark, over in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and... Um, Mark had accompanied Barnabas and Saul on their first missionary trip, and they they were planting churches. And the Bible tells us um, midway through, some point during their trip, their first trip, in um, Acts chapter 13 and verse number 13. They're now moving, and uh, Mark, John Mark, uh, returned to Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't really say exactly... Uh, why? But he had failed. Certainly, in the eyes of, of of Paul, Mark John Mark had failed. He had quit, and he went back home to Jerusalem. And as a result of this, there was really a a serious difference of opinion that Barnabas had with Paul on the matter. You see, the apostle Paul was all about performance. You had to perform. If you were on his team, <coughs> boy, it was just foot, you know, pedal to the metal, go, go, go. Um, you had to perform. But Barnabas, on the other hand, he looked at potential, and he saw potential in John Mark. How do I know that? Well, the Bible tells us that later on Barnabas was willing to separate uh, from Paul in the ministry uh, and he, because he believed in John Mark, he believed in him. Even though John Mark had left and gone back to Jerusalem, Barnabas never quit on him. 
He saw the potential. And we see that later on, because Paul writes about it, later on um, we see that Paul writes uh, here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul was wrong in this area. Um, he had quit. He had given up on John Mark, but Barnabas didn't. He stood by him. And, you know, uh, if, if Barnabas had just said, you know what, I've got to choose sides. I'm just going to go with Paul in this matter. Then we may have lost a very profitable fellow servant. They certainly would have. And you know what? Would we have ever received the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark? One of the authors or writers, excuse me, of uh, the gospels. The gospel according to Mark was written by this man that Barnabas did not quit on. He saw the potential. And so, anyway, we're, we are out of time, but um, we're talking about being an encourager, being an exhorter. And, you know, in the world that we live in today, we surely need exhorters in the church. We're all called to be, uh, to exhort one another. We exhort one another simply by showing up to the church meetings, the Bible says. But there's more than that. You see, exhortation is more than just being cheerful. That's what I want to get across to you today. It's, not, it's more than just having a, a smile and, and uh, you know, saying uh, to other people when they're down, cheer up, cheer up. That's, that's maybe a part of exhortation, but it's so much more than that. It involves the things that we do, such as the acts of giving money, giving uh, to one another. It involves going. It involves the things that we say as well, encouraging and defending at times, much like Barnabas. And so anyway, I hope the, the lesson uh, here this morning was an encouragement to you to be an encourager. All right, you are dismissed.